Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. Attention homeowners, due to upcoming government regulations, the current energy efficiency ratings for HVAC systems will change. Current inventory cannot be sold after December 31st. As the year 2023 starts, customers can expect to pay an average of 30% more for a new HVAC unit that will meet the new government regulations. So what does this mean for you, the customer? There's no better time to purchase a new HVAC system. AAA Heating and Air must empty their warehouse to make room for the new systems. No deals will be turned down. With their 15-year parts and labor warranty plus guaranteed financing, they have made it possible for anyone to get a new system. Call today and enjoy your new home comfort as quickly as tomorrow. But you can only get this special deal by calling 803-677-1500. AAA Heating and Air wants to give you their best deal possible on a new HVAC unit, but you have to call today. 803-677-1500. And tell them you heard about this deal on 107.5 The Game's Gamecock Central Podcast. AAA Air when you need us. AAA Heating and Air. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen with Pearson Fowler. This has been in the works for a while. We're really excited to officially have the Gamecock Central Hour. Chris Clark. And J.J. has accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl already, which is awesome, uh, the Reese's Senior Bowl. And Wes Mitchell. Um, I think he's well above 200 into like a 210 range. Uh, a dude in the weight room, too, like from a strength standpoint. On the home of the Gamecocks, 107.5 The Game. Game. A minute after 11 o'clock on a Reaction Monday, and welcome into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour on 107.5 The Game. Pearson, Preston, Wes, Chris here with you with plenty more reaction to Carolina's 38-27 to win over Vanderbilt and Nashville a game that I think always felt comfortable, even though the defense didn't really look like getting stops for South Carolina. Uh, in my opinion, never really a game that felt too close or, or too, too competitive. Carolina did what they needed to offensively, and considering that they were shorthanded without Marshawn Lloyd, a I think a credit where credit is due kind of game. Uh, but as we get started here, well, uh, I don't know. Chris, we've talked about two straight weeks of kind of sleepy games. People don't really get up for Missouri. People don't get up for Vanderbilt. Nashville's kind of sleepy. It was a game that was littered with penalties and a dust-up before halftime. There were lots of injury timeouts, unfortunately, for South Carolina. Everything about the game felt disjointed and sloppy and just kind of sleepy. So, I mean, how do you... Does that factor in to your feeling about the game? Is that just sort of a side note? Or, or maybe even why did Saturday feel like that? Well, first of all, Nashville itself was not sleepy, I'm sure. I was not there, unfortunately, but... uh I saw some videos and uh, some social media posts from some people I know, including our Gamecock Central staff. I don't think it was sleepy. But uh, First Bank Stadium, which I had no clue that was the name. Not, uh, I thought it was like Vanderbilt Stadium. They have a sponsor. They have a sponsor. It's First Bank. It costs $5. I was about to say, how much do we think they paid for that? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it was, look, the number one goal if you're South Carolina was to come out of that game with a win. And then you want to do it while staying relatively healthy. Um, and then you you just want to kind of, I mean, it sounds weird to say you want to escape with a win. 
because you don't want it to feel like an escape. But you just mm-hmm. need to come out there with the win. But but you're right. It was a it was a sloppy game defensively. Whew, it, it was it was tough a lot of the game. But South Carolina made enough plays. Uh, they took care of the ball. They finally won the turnover margin in an SEC game, which was key. Yeah, how far are we in? Four minutes. Yep. I mean, they they did enough. Yeah, and I think I think there was there were some things that were very concerning during the game. Uh, the second half offensively was not good. Much of the game defensively wasn't, but offensively there were actually some things that even relative to the opponent Vandy, which is not a good football team, were encouraging. Actually, I think so. A lot, probably a lot to dive into in this one. Yeah, it was really interesting that Carolina had. I mean, short of Charlotte, probably its best offensive performance of the season or at least the one that felt the most cohesive. And it was without South Carolina's best player in Marshawn Lloyd. Maybe that's a, maybe that's uncharitable to some other offensive performances. But, I mean, Wes, it, it felt like South Carolina knew what they wanted to do. It felt like they kind of had a game plan. And even if the game plan was get the ball to everybody, they kind of did. And they had, I mean, like Jaheim Bell had a good game. Xavier Leggett had a good game. Juice Wells had a good game. When you score 38 points, there's room for a lot of it. But how many games have there been when you could feel like there was more than one individual standout offensively for Carolina. Yeah, not many. I felt like um, there was an opportunity to score even more, which I'm I'm actually saying that more in a strange way as a positive in that, um, you know, I thought they were close to just having a massive day offensively when you look at how many they scored in the first half. And um, so I, I, did, uh, I did the good, the bad, and the ugly as my sort of um, overall – thoughts on the game so the good road sec win to get bowl eligible you never you never uh apologize for those 14 straight over vanderbilt um i don't i don't care if it's york high school if you beat somebody 14 straight um you've done something right can we also say that the vanderbilt's now lost 26 straight sec games we can say that (laughs) i hope that's a lot if if that's it might be 27 Um, it might be 25 it's it's in the mid 20s uh, once you get to that point, um, if you're in the 20s, uh, I don't know if the details matter. You've lost a ton of SEC games. Uh, fast start again uh, with a turnover on defense and a quick score on offense. Um, I said general, just playmakers on offense, bunch of guys making plays. Um, I will continue my Darius Rush push. Maybe the best player on defense this year. Um, the bad could not put Vanderbilt away completely. The game never really felt in doubt, like you said, but they couldn't quite just put them away yeah. either. And it, Rice, I think, that you would have liked to see Carolina put a game away that they didn't. Yeah, and you know what? You kind of, to me, it felt like, all right, this game isn't in doubt, but you're like one fluke play away from feeling like, <laughs> could could Vanderbilt steal this game? Um, also under the bad, I said, the running game, I don't know if the numbers look that bad, but it was kind of smoke and mirrors in that, you know, you had some plays off of reverses. Kind of reminded me a little bit of the Troy game last year where, uh, you know, they had, they had jo- I think Josh Pham was the leading rusher off of a couple of reverses. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I could not believe when I looked at the box score after the game that the Gamecocks had over 200 yards on the ground. Because yeah. their leading rusher was Jaheim with, I think, 58 maybe or 57. Yeah, it was just, it was a disjointed um, effort. And then the ugly... Um, with just overall penalties, this has not been a penalized team this year, uh, statistically. But man, that 
a huge part of the reason they couldn't uh, put the game away was penalties. And then um, the run defense. I don't I, – we need to get Preston back in here. I want his thoughts on why. But um, <laughs> there there is a lot going wrong with the run defense. And I, I thought Vandy would have some success on the ground. I didn't think it would look as easy as it did. They have more rushing yards in the first half than they've had in any single game the entire season. Yeah, and I which I, is not great, Bob. Yeah, not 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 great at all. Um You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Yeah. A win is a win is a win. Carolina's bowl eligible. One of like 80-something teams that will be this year. But what's important to me is that Carolina now has three chances to improve on last year's regular season. Now, three very tough games. We'll talk about them as we get closer to them, um, of course. But I guess my question now is what do you take away from this game? Because I thought there were some things that you saw in the passing game. Spencer Rattler looked as comfortable, I thought, as he has looked. Part of that is Vanderbilt is terrible. But I think he looked comfortable. He made some passes. You mentioned the throw to Josh Van. Those are the things that you thought he was going to do. Extend the play, make a really nice throw, put the ball where only his guy can go get it. Um, it felt like there were some things that Carolina needs to take away from this passing game and try to apply it to, to later games of season. And you think, like, well, I'll come back to your, your bad, Wes, in terms of Carolina not being able to put the game away. I almost give them a pass because when you're up, uh, what, 31 to 14, 17 at halftime, whatever the score was, you know in the second half you're just going to lean on the running game, salt the game away. Without having Lloyd, I'm almost willing to give them a pass on that. Just walking back in here, hearing the conversation, there was one point during the game when we were on group text, and I was just about to text the group and ask, is this game close? Hmm. And then CBS broke that run out. And, hmm. I, and I was trying to figure out, what, like, was it, a, was, it, was it a close game or was it ever? Did you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? I, I, I go exactly what Wes said a minute ago, and it was you always felt like South Carolina was in control and that it wasn't super in danger, but you did have this thought of if one thing goes wrong, like the fluke, mm-hmm. I did have that specific feeling of, you know, kind of like that, like like a play like the Cam Smith play. Cam Smith, he's got good coverage. He's in phase. But for some reason, he looks up for the ball a little early, and the mm-hmm. ball was so well thrown. Yeah. Completely in stride that he looked looks like DQ up. misjudged it too. Like he kind of yeah. slowed his. I well, wonder if there's like a strong gust because it's weird for both of them to have misjudged the trajectory well, of that ball. And, and, well, and then DQ, even if Cam gives that ball up, it shouldn't have been a touchdown because the receiver catches it. Now he's running. Cam is fast. He can catch him, but DQ flies in, hits Cam, yeah. takes both of them out, 
and now Nicky Minori coming from you know all the way across the field can't chase the guy. It, it honestly like, almost looked play. like Cam was trying to like it's it's like he saw DQ coming over, thought he was going to make a play on the ball, and then stopped. Which I guess you're and that's probably not good to be doing. But it's like both of them thought the other guy was going to make the play, and then the pop up dropped right in between second and third base. I when uh, now granted you know TV camera angles all these things you can't always tell when that ball was thrown. I think I audibly said pick. Like, I saw there were two Carolina guys. I guess maybe I assumed it was going to be a little bit underthrown. And he, he actually, I mean, it was a dime. He put it right where he needed to. But it was, it was a weird play. I mean, you if you're in the meeting room, like, it's kind of how you, if they're going to try to go over the top on you, you have two guys there. You're kind of like, all right, this is the position we want to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of, like you said, it got misjudged completely, I guess, um, on the throw. So three of the – there were a lot of scores, but the Juice Wells touchdown was just a weird, broken play and horrendous defense from Vanderbilt. The long CBS touchdown was one of the most embarrassing touchdowns I've seen a college football team give up this year. The the long touchdown where Cam and DQ both misjudged the ball. It's like every – it's like almost every score in the first half of that game was like, what is going on here? Like, the, it's it's so overplayed now to say, like, this game is drunk, but that whole first half just felt like insanity. So I guess to your point, Wes, you, you would never rule – anything weird happening out from that point on. But I never felt like the game was close to get back to Preston's question. Yeah. And I, I, um, my, my thought process kept being that a lot of South Carolina's defensive stops were because of turnovers. So, you know, what if, what if Vandy just finds a way, I think they had the ball back and, uh, you know, down 10, 11, I didn't understand why they went for two. Um, Oh, that's, that's a Wilhelms thing. It's, it's, it's it's always the right call. Well, okay, but because um, then, because if you get the two, it, I, then the extra point later gives you a one point lead, and if you don't get the two, you have another chance to tie it later. Okay, we're gonna have to do the math on that okay. in the, yeah, in the break. My brain just broke, but um, the uh, completely lost my train of thought. But you know, it just it just felt like a lot of their stops were via turnovers as opposed to just getting off the field. Um, and I th- I think on the CBS run. Um, you you do see that from time to time on a third or fourth and short. A team is completely sold out in like some goal line style defense. They're trying to they're trying to stop you from getting this one yard, but there's nobody back um if you get past that initial push. And in their case, um whoever had outside contain, I'm guessing just got sucked inside. Good job by CBS to bounce it out and uh, and there was nothing left there. Um and it's weird. You look at his stats. You're like, oh, he averaged whatever per rush, and it's like, well, yeah, he was, had he had three carries for fifty five five yards, and a long. So the other 52. two were for two yards or three yeah. yards, I guess. Pearson's most hated formation, though, the wishbone, mm-hmm. actually is what made that play <laughs> because because the safety a terrible safety play, the last man back, like Wes was saying moved over to the opposite side of the formation from where CBS got the ball. So if he's there, if he is on the other – like if it's I, he's mm. maybe more middle. Mm. He, he moves over to the opposite side. It was a poor play anyway, but that did kind of help. That was a little assist on that play, just <laughs> the formation. Wishbone for the win. <laughs> there you uh, go. Real quick, and then we'll dig deeper into some of the defensive woes for Carolina Saturday. Uh, as a trivia question for you guys, how many three and outs did Carolina force defensively Saturday? Since you're asking, Don't I'm thinking it's probably – actually, I'm not going to say zero. I was looking over the play-by-play just now, so it might be a little bit of a cheat. I'm going to say one. Preston? 
I'll go under. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> under one. <laughs> Negative? <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I haven't rewatched it. I'll go two just to be different. Okay. The answer was zero. Yeah. Mm. Vanderbilt, yeah, here you go. Uh, Vanderbilt did have four drives of three plays or fewer, but all of those ended in turnovers. So I'm not going to, uh, like, ding the defense, but they didn't force a traditional three and out. If Vanderbilt wasn't turning the ball over, and three of those, three of them were three of the turnovers, just, like, bad Vanderbilt plays. I don't want to take the credit away from no, the defense. But no. like, let's, let's quote Clayton White. They don't hand you the ball. I don't know. A.J. Swan, pretty much, he could have handed that ball off to Darius Rush on the first pick. If, no, if you, a good play if you just saw the back half of that play, you would have thought 28 was a receiver, I think. He made himself um, one. He did. It was a really good, good play. play. Anyway, I, so so we won't we won't take the credit away from the defense for the turnovers. I don't want to do that. But Carolina didn't force Vanderbilt to punt after three plays. So do with that information what you will. More thoughts on the uh, defensive issues for Carolina Saturday, especially in the run game, and more your thoughts on a reaction Monday next. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. Twenty minutes after eleven o'clock, it's a reaction Monday here on one zero seven five. The game, and it's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Pearson, Preston, West, Chris, here with you in the Herndon Chevy Studios at one zero seven five. The game, talking Carolina and Vanderbilt, a thirty eight to twenty seven win. Carolina gets to bowl eligibility. They now have three opportunities to improve on last year's regular season. What did we learn about the Gamecocks on Saturday? The offense kind of did what it needed to do. They got a lot of guys involved. Jaheim Bell played his most snaps of the season by one, 31. He played 30 against Georgia State. And um, would you, were you all surprised to see that Jaheim Bell still played the third most snaps of all of the available tight ends? Mm, no, just because just because he factored in at running back so much. I mean, the, right. the bulk of his snaps, right, were at running back. So it's easier to get, I guess, all three Not of those by guys a lot, in the field. But. So he played... What so he got sixteen carries at running back, but I didn't. I actually didn't break out how many because he didn't get the ball every time mm-hmm. he was at running back, and then even some of his receptions were from the running back position. So mm-hmm. definitely fair to say that the bulk of his snaps were running back. So no, not surprising. I mean, we knew that South Carolina. I mean, Stogner. It's not even a discussion point anymore. Stogner is going to play the most snaps at tight end mm-hmm. every game. And then they're definitely going to work in Nate Adkins because mm-hmm. they do appear to like him as a blocker. And, and when, when they're running the football, he's going to be in there a good bit. And he got a catch. Was that his first of the season? I think, think so. I think so. They've targeted him before, but that yep. might. And he, he has good hands. Like, he he's does. never going to be described as, like, a, um, you know, receiver first tight end. But he has really, really good hands from what I've heard. Um, I'll say this. I liked the fact, uh, and that, that catch was on a little quick out. Right, they actually. Here's the thing that I felt like we saw a little bit of that I feel like has been completely missing is we saw some actual short passing concepts that weren't behind the line. It, it feels like it's been either you know it's not like they don't have a short passing game. They've had that, but it's always been at the line, behind the line, or the little mesh concept with the drag routes. They run the drag route on third down all the time. I think that's their favorite concept. But um, you saw the little quick out. To him, was that on a second and 10, second long maybe? Um, I think it might have been after a penalty. So it was like, all right, 
let's get five or six was an easy throw and make this next down makeable. Mm-hmm. Um, coming right out of the shoot, they had a little play action or RPO where they rolled Spencer out and they had um, Amarian Brown just on the little stick route where he mm-hmm. just goes out, turns around at like five yard mark, catches the ball, gets upfield. Um, you know, I know everybody's been hollering for some slant routes. To me, those are those are all this in the same category: stick route, slant route, quick out. You're talking about shorter throws, but that are designed to be easier. Gets you four or five, six yards. Maybe you break a tackle and get more. But it, it felt like those were more implemented this week than we have seen for most of the year. Yeah, I don't know why it took nine games to get there, but it, I mean, if if this is a feature of the passing offense for the next four games, I guess you'll or the next three games, you'll at least say. At least they got there. Also, uh, Carolina ran like a nice double post and uh, took advantage of it, got the outside guy. And I can't remember if Andy was in a two-high safety look or a single-high safety, but scored a touchdown on that. I know Carolina fans have just been clamoring to see something over the middle, and you got a little bit more of that. So the offense, you know, largely did what it needed to. And the touchdown to Juice Wells, I mean, that's what people have wanted to see, right? I mean, you get Juice Wells in one-on-one coverage over the middle. Spencer Rattler has a clean pocket. That's that's the type of thing that if you can find that is is easy money. Yeah. I mean, Juice Wells is a hard cover in those situations. That was um, a dime too. Yeah, it was a great throw. Um, easy and, against Vanderbilt, but at least you found it. Well, yeah, and look, I mean, I, I think you look at how Spencer played, and Shane Beamer was asked after the game if this was the best game Spencer had. Yes, again, ev- everything that we're saying about the offense. We need to understand in a relative, you know, has to, you have to have some perspective on it, right? Because Vanderbilt's not a really good defensive football team at all. Um, but they they did do what they needed to. And I thought Spencer played very well. No turnover worthy plays. He had some scrambles, uh, had a 15 yard run. He took care of the football, no fumbles, no balls in danger. And we saw a variety of different throws, right? We saw him stand in the pocket. We've all been yelling about staying in the pocket. We saw him stay in the pocket, deliver a deep ball to Xavier Leggett on a post. Great route, great throw. Everything worked. The The ball that we just mentioned to Juice Wells, it was a great throw. The ball to Van, that's the type of play you expect from Spencer. And he's made some plays like that this year where some of his best plays, even ones that have not hit for whatever reason, have come you know, with him improvising. So I think we saw some of everything. He had his highest quarterback rating of the season in terms of NFL rating. He just played a really efficient game, I thought. I just had a revelation. That Josh Van play was the play that didn't get made against Texas A&M to Jalen Brooks, right? About the same type of play. I mean, yeah, it, oh, it's yeah, the yeah. one, yeah, I mean, the kind one, of a right. similar yeah, play. You, you, you break the pocket and... Throws a yeah. hell of a ball. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we made the play on this one, didn't make the play on... That's really interesting. I didn't think about that. Hmm. But it's just interesting, the, the margin of error, because... Now we're talking about this being such a great thing when maybe if that ball hits, then you're talking about that. I don't know. By the way, you owe Chris 14 cent for saying say, uh, margin for error. Yeah. Oh, man. Is that, is that, is that a, off the board? He has a trademark on uh, on that. And uh, he tried to get one on turnovers as well. but um, Turnover margin? Yeah, it was. Turnovers yeah. is harder. They're, Wait, they're I, like, I thought my that was search query was like, I didn't realize we were all like, we got we got a swear jar thing going here, right? No, no, no. It's just Chris has um, I like established a copyright on it. I will have to. Forever. I have to move away from that. The yep. uh, the margin of errors. <laughs> oh, margins. Word Marginal play. error. That's good. Um, anything else you want to say? Just generally about the offensive performance. 
Um, I do. Hey, I do have numbers on Jaheim Bell where he lined up uh, real quick. At least as according to PFF, um, twenty-two plays that he was in the backfield. Um, one he was lined up in line, seven in the slot, and one wide hmm. according to them. Interesting. I I thought that Jaheim Bell, you know. His ability to play running back, the fact that he has it and was able to adjust to it and give South Carolina what he gave was a very important part of the game, right? You have Mm -hmm. no Lloyd. Christian Beal Smith took, and I'm not trying to be funny, I mean, he took a couple minutes to get off the field at one point, then came back, (laughs) somehow ran that football in for a touchdown. He took a couple of minutes to get into the end zone on that play, too. Well, (laughs) he he was stuck behind the line for like a minute of it. It was a weird play. But... You know, Jaheim being able to play running back was critical. Were the numbers huge? No. You know, in terms of the yards per carry, didn't have a bunch of didn't have a bunch of long explosive runs, but yeah, he got he's some not yards. A running back, but it was what Carolina needed. I feel like. I I thought he ran the ball as well as any running back on the team. I would say this is the first Saturday. game. This is the first game where I saw it. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. Where all the way up to this point, even including last year, I thought they were trying to do the kind of square peg and round hole deal, but. This one, I was like, okay, I can see. Obviously, he's not. He wouldn't be your number one option. Yeah, but in a pinch, I saw it this game. Well, CBS on the mend and Juju with the size limitations that he has, maybe that is a better second option for Carolina going forward. Yeah, I mean, I I thought he moved the pile. I thought he sort of uh, had a knack for. I don't even know if it's a missed tackle necessarily, but some backs, um, it's like there's not much room to run and. You know, you take a guy like Juju running inside, and it's kind of like, you know, he he just goes down. Jaheim had sort of that knack of, even though he's a big-body guy, making himself just tougher to get a hold of, basically, and he's able to kind of fall forward for that two, three yards, I feel like. And that's something I feel like they've really missed when Marshawn's not in there. Marshawn does that for you. Mm-hmm. You can block it for one yard. Marshawn gets three and a half. You block it for three and a half. Marshawn gets five and a half. Those things are the difference in being... You know, am I in second and seven? Am I in second and nine? It kind of adds up over the course of a game, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess I just, it, and there's like a, we, we pigeonhole running backs as unskilled players, even though it's technically a skill position because like I just hand the ball off and go. But, you know, one of the things that sets, a, you know, the great running backs apart, and, and honestly, like one of the things that Marshawn needs to improve is is the vision, you know, being able to read kind of where the holes are going to open up. And Jaheim's not a running back, so it makes sense if if like the, if that's not a natural part of his skill set, I think that's like the biggest thing that I see. Like I, I watched Jaheim Bell play running back, and I'm like, this guy's not a running back. So even though he can make some of those plays happen, it's like it. The I guess the reaction and hitting the hole doesn't happen as quickly as like an actual running back. But um, it was it was enough, I guess, for South Carolina to get the offensive performance and the productivity that they did on Saturday. So we'll see how much or how little Carolina uses that going forward, but they at least they at least know that they have it to the tune of 16 carries. 803-404-6100, more of your thoughts wherever you want to take it, offense, defense, special teams. Um, I'm going to ask Preston the hard question about South Carolina's defense coming up next. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. 35 minutes after 11 o'clock, Monday morning. Reaction Monday here on 107.5 The Game. And it's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Pearson Fowler, Preston Thorne, Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell. 
here with you. More thoughts on Carolina's 38-27 to win over Vanderbilt in Nashville this weekend, including an emphasis on the defense. It's got to be talked about. We'll continue to, I mean, honestly, we're going to talk about it for the entire week because South Carolina is going to really be tested by Florida in that category this week. Um, but before we get into that, Wes, or not Wes, you're over there. You're doing something. Chris wants to tell everybody about integrated media. Absolutely. And I actually watched the Vanderbilt game at my neighbor's house. Shout out, Lee. Um, and guess where his setup came from? That's right. Integrated media. We're out on his porch. It was raining, but we are able to go out on his porch and watch his integrated media run setup. Awesome TV. Uh, Sonos wireless speakers out there. Sounded fantastic. Looked fantastic. Absolutely no buffering because the internet signal is super strong out there. Go to integratedmediainc.com. Uh, while you're there, you can sign up to receive their latest deals, offers, and tips. Just put in your name, your email, and subscribe to their free email list. You can get more information from them there. Don't use the big box stores, whether it's equipment or uh, you know home security setup, wireless speakers, TVs, whole home internet, home security. Hit up Michael and Nathan and the rest of the crew at Integrated Media. Again, that's integratedmediainc.com or give them a call. 803-948-8327. Preston, is there any hope for South Carolina's run defense? No. Okay. That solves it. Have a good day. It's going to see who's, who's going to blink first. So it's, is it broken or was there never anything to break to begin with? Uh. No, it wasn't broken because we haven't we've we've seen them perform, I guess, against Kentucky, which was fine. Just as I've entered win is a win season on offense, and we just have to accept that for what it is. Mm-hmm. I think you can say the same thing against defense because a lot of what I'm seeing, and this is not through any extensive film study, but it's just from one watch or two watches. A lot of it seems to be some fundamental things that are that are some of the choices that the players are making that uh that are just not getting corrected it seems like okay so that that's very that's very uh specific language so let's unpack that yeah decisions that the players are making that's not being corrected so i think like this year a lot of the offensive shortcomings it's been easy to to chalk it up to the coaches to say well you know even if they're not executing this the players have to put them in a position to succeed I don't typically feel the same way about defense. I feel like, you know, go make a play. But I don't know if that's always the right way to think about it. So you mentioned the players' decisions, but you also mentioned not being correct. You know, and this is really just strictly looking inside the box. When we talk about having gap integrity, playing in your gaps, playing your assignments, it seems as if a lot of times you see guys up front sort of going around blocks, taking the paths of least resistance to get towards the football, which is Makes sense if you can make a play. Hence, you might make a splash play every now and then. But the in-between plays, you'll see sort of what you get against Vanderbilt. So the reason why I say it's not being corrected because obviously they're still choosing to do it. And um, you can get away with those types of things against it. Well, I guess you didn't even get away with it against Vanderbilt. Yeah. Um, so and against a better team, those those types of decisions uh, will show their ugly head. So this is a one-gap defense up front mostly, right? Yes. So, like, you, you, you have a gap. I feel like there's very little wiggle room. Like, how, how then are you, like, unless you're just missing the assignment, in which case, you know, Clayton White, Lindsey, uh, Lucas, 
Like, head's got to roll, right? Nah, well, maybe. I don't know. But it's hard to do it without a visual representation. But let's say if you're the one technique playing on the outside shoulder of the center and they zone either away or either away from you or to you. But let's just say they zone away from you, meaning the right guard goes right. You're supposed to stay in that particular gap. What you've seen is the center can overreach them and get in between you and the gap that you're supposed to be in. You'll see them having their efforting to push the center into that gap. But a lot of times they're getting they're getting overreached on sort of simple zone techniques. Okay. And that that tends to break down the defense. So it's not even so much about Mr. Simons, they're just getting beat. That also could be it also. Hmm. But it's not necessary it's not beat because it's just sort of taking the easy way in some plays. So it's so there it's it's a submission or a concession. That might that's because ultimately that's an okay the offense word. has Carolina's defensive linemen generally where the offense wants them to be, right? Well, I th- yeah, I think the the stats would indicate that. No, and that's why that's why I gave the simple answer of is it broken? I don't know if you get those things corrected without having a, either a lot of time or other people. And when you have your best players that are doing that, it's tough to get it corrected. So you kind of m- might just be where you are. Hmm. So, well, Chris, I saw you mentioning yesterday on the. Uh, Sunday edition of Ask Chris that this is something that's kind of flown under the radar a little bit because the offensive inconsistencies have, yeah, I, I guess stolen the headlines there. Yeah, I, I tweeted something out about it on uh, not to be the guy who takes one thing that one person said and somebody said it's a bigger problem that you haven't noticed that all year, you know. And I'm like, yeah, we we've been talking about it some a lot, but yeah, it has. I mean, people are hyper focused on offense all the time. I think there's like just some kind of psychology to it. Yeah, I just think it's easier to understand. Yeah, and and people like scoring points. Of course, so you're not scoring points; it's very noticeable. Of course, but there's a lot about the defense. I mean, we have literally we've been talking about it all year that it's kind of reared its ugly head at times. I think it, it has. You know, there, there are a lot of coaching points that I think y'all talked about and, and explained quite well. I do think. You do have to look at at the players as well. So number one, I mean, they've got a good bit of depth at defensive tackle. That they've got, they roll in what six guys there, um, and they're generally pretty good there. On the edge, they've got two guys who are playing basically the entire game, every game, um, and two guys who are pass rushers. Jordan Birch isn't as advanced as a run stopper. Gilbert Edmond. Uh, is really in his first year playing at all. This was a year where he was expected to give the team, you know, 20, 30 snaps a game and be a pass rusher. Now he's playing the run every time. At linebacker, they've lost their most athletic guy, Mo Kaba, who is the best linebacker on the team. They lose him early against Arkansas. You're playing Sherrod Green and Brad Johnson, who have played, I think they're Preston's teammates. <laughs> but... <laughs> well, that, they're slow. Carolina's linebackers are just that, they're not. They're not as... They're not as athletic as Mo Caba, and so there's some limitations there, you know. And I and I also think teams can then scheme you because one of the other things, aside from the run defense in the box that we've seen, is if I'm an offensive coordinator, one of the only plays I'm running is I'm just throwing the football to the flat. That's it, because you're putting the linebackers in conflict between staying in the box and running out, and they just haven't been able to do it this season. Whether it's the guys on the perimeter or the linebackers chasing the ball out there. 
And so now when they're in conflict, it's even tougher for them. Yeah, I think um, maybe one of the more frustrating things watching them against Vanderbilt is, um, you know, I'm a big believer that a lot of times um, we'll equate what some people will say are inconsistencies um, within a team throughout the course of a year really maybe is more about the matchup of the team you're playing against. So, you know, it's like, oh, did South Carolina find something in their passing game? Yeah, they they did some great things within their passing game. They did, uh, you know, add some new wrinkles, it felt like. But some of that is just, I mean, we talked about it before. Vanderbilt came in with the worst pass defense in the SEC. So sometimes it's just about the matchup. But I feel like on the other side, from a matchup standpoint, I would have felt like South Carolina would have more success defensively stopping Vanderbilt in the running game. And I think it's a little bit disheartening probably for fans because I did feel like there were signs of success or signs of progress, at least you would say, against Texas A&M's running game, which I thought A&M was going to have a little more success than they did. Um, Kentucky, I feel like it got a little bit glossed over because Kentucky had to get away from the run. and yeah, kind of six carries for Rodriguez in the second They kind of outthought themselves, and they had some penalties that put them out of running down to, as far as downs and distances go. But um, for Vanderbilt to be able to do what they've done, and I, I think a lot of it, to Chris's point, a lot of it has been on the edge, man. Like it's, it's like I can't tell you the X and O reason or the the athlete reason, but it just feels like whenever teams, especially last week with Missouri and then Vanderbilt on Saturday, when they have ran the ball to the edges, when they have thrown quick passes to the edges, there's just so much space out there, and um, it, it's just like it's like wow, there's there's so much room here, and then you don't even necessarily have to create a missed tackle if you're the opponent and you get out there and there's five yards before anybody can get to you. So I think this is something, you know, Florida is going to copy it. We know Tennessee is going to copy it. It's going to be an issue um, for the rest of the year. And a lot of it, I don't know if it's just angles and you don't have the guys that can get there. But um, to me, it's concerning that it's Vanderbilt that was able to do that. If it was a team that was just really, really good, at running the football. Like you don't edge. sound the alarm when it's Arkansas because they're the best rushing team in the SEC. Exactly. And you know, you you hope you can play it a little bit better if you're South Carolina, but you understand. Yeah. Um here are here are Ray Davis yards per carry in the SEC this year. One point five yards per carry. It's eleven carries for seventeen yards. Is that Alabama? Yes. 3.9 yards per carry against uh, Ole Miss, actually twenty seven carries a buck oh five. So still under four yards a carry, but I got over a hundred. 2.4 yards per carry. Uh, that's 12 carries for 29 yards. Against Missouri, 1.9 yards per carry. 15 carries for 28 yards. Against South Carolina, 8.4 yards per carry. 20 carries, 167 yards. The only game where he has had, well, that's a career high for him, but the only game where he has had more yards per carry was against Hawaii. Nine carries, 87 yards, 9.7 a clip. So there you go. We will continue to talk about the run defense. Um, it's it's not a fixable problem. Is, is there something you can do to cover it up? Uh, disincentivize running? Can Carolina lobby to get a rule change where you're not allowed to run the football before the Florida game this weekend? That will be Shane Beamer's biggest task this week. 803-404-6100. We'll talk about that as the week uh, continues here. We'll recap our buy or sell coming up on the other side. And uh, also do want to give you guys a chance to win a pair of tickets. We've been giving away a lot of sporting event tickets. This is a concert. Uh, Thomas Rhett. You all familiar with Thomas Rhett? 
Indeed. Thomas Rhett, cool. I don't know anything about Thomas Rhett. So I think some of my brother likes. Where where is he going to be? He is going to be at the Bon Secours Wellness Arena on July 14th. So a long way away with uh, Cole Swindell, Swindle, and Nate Smith. If you're a country music fan. Swindell. Y'all know how I feel about country music. If you didn't, we do now. <laughs> um, be caller number five right now, 803-404-6100. Ah, tickets next July. Thomas Rhett on the home team tour. Caller number five, 803-404-6100. Good luck. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Pearson Fowler, Chris Clark, and Wes Mitchell. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. Eleven fifty-two Monday morning. Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Here, a couple minutes left. Continuing to react to and unpack Carolina's thirty-eight to twenty-seven win over Vanderbilt. Uh, the good, the offense, the best. I guess special teams. Kai Kroger continues to be the most efficient passer on Carolina's entire roster. Can we give some Tonka Hemingway love real quick? Tonka, I mean, Tonka, Tonka is the man. Let's just call it what it is. It, it was it was funny because um, I was looking at the PFF grades for offense. Number one, <laughs> it was it was Kai. I think it was Kai Spencer Rattler and Tonka Hemingway. Hmm. But that's that's not an indictment at all. It's just when you complete all right, valid. Yeah, Chris valid. Wes, if you need to try, Preston's going to jump through the glass. I, and I'm not I'm not actually saying this. What is about to happen? I'm not actually saying this. But Tonka does everything: good hands, smart, twitchy, athletic. Big guy. Chris is already shaking his head. He's not. He's not. He's not. I just think number six. Oh, Melvin Ingram. Um, the way they use him on special teams just seems like an athletic guy. He's, he's not that good. He's not that good. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's what I think of when he keeps popping up on these special teams plays. Wait, for clarification, he's not that good. You mean he's not as good as Melvin Ingram? Not that right. he's not that good like people say oh he's not that good no no no. i think i think i think tonka's a good good. player but melvin ingram is arguably the best player in the history of south carolina football i want to make okay i want to make sure you're clarifying it though yeah so good better best good offense did what they needed to best special teams better the run defense has to get better and you said i like the way you said that i was wondering how you was going to pull that off but that's awesome the run defense does absolutely have to get better but um, there, but like you laid out, like there's not there are not a lot of easy like obvious. Hey, here's what you can do. So is it just now? Does Clayton White just have to stack the box, eight guys in the box every single play, so the teams don't want to run? They they already have an extra guy in the box most of the time. You got to like put two extra guys in the box. Then they, then you're opening up a world. But you'd rather take your chances hurt. with your secondary than your linebackers and defensive ends. Right? I, I don't think you can just. I mean, for one, how how many long plays have been cut off by 21 having the angle to go make a tackle for you for a seven-yard gain instead of – if you, he'd be the guy – he'd be the next guy in the box. So now you're I'd, – I'd be very worried that what happened to Vanderbilt when they got everybody sucked inside and they gave up a 50-yarder, I'd be worried that you're going to have a lot of these explosive chunk plays become, you know – 70 yard yeah and here's here's how it'll traditionally work i don't know this for a fact but most defensive coordinators call the game from their position's perspective so the adjustments that'll be made will probably be made 
either by the linebackers or in the box because that's where Clayton is. Mm. That's his home base. Yeah. Sometimes defensive coordinators, if they're from secondary guys, they tend to adjust more with the secondary. That's typically how how it ends up going. So if there's adjustments that are going to be made, they'll probably be made within the front seven. We'll keep talking about this all week because it's now officially a huge story. Um, but before we get out of here on a reaction Monday, let's recap some buy or sell. And Kendall Walsh, nice enough to sponsor that segment for us. Yes, she is. Shout out to Kendall Walsh, uh, our good friend from the Moore Company, 803-414-3590. Workwithwalsh at gmail.com, at workwithwalsh on Twitter. If you're in the market for a new home or you'd just like to buy a new home, you're a little bit worried about what the process might look like, give her a call, 803-414-3590. That's a no-obligation call. She can help walk you through that process. Um, How do we think we did, fellas? Well, we we would pick four or five. Um, five. I think I was three and two. Well, you're the only one who bought Notre Dame, beating the Clemson Tigers. Shame on and all of you. Boy, did they beat them. Um, okay, Georgia beats Tennessee by more than eight. I got that one wrong. I know. Let's go. We had three sales. Shout out Preston's brother. Preston bought it. What up, Corey? Um, South Carolina will have a 100-yard rusher. Everybody sold but me. Um, Good job, Wes. Well, I wanted to be a little different. <laughs> you have, I have like 18 S's by your name on this one because you were like yelling sell. Um, South Carolina will beat Vandy by more than three. We got everybody bought except Chris Clark. And I did find out later my actual prediction on Gamecock Central was. Are oh, you going to two side this one? Like seventeen to ten? No, I. I, I <laughs> Wait, what was the one? Myself. What was the one with the million S's? You sold the one hundred yard. Oh, oh, pressure. okay. okay. Um, and <laughs> one of them I just have Jaheim Bell. I don't know what the and I sold it. And Pearson sold it, and they bought it. <laughs> just, just, we just sold him. Just, just the idea of Jaheim. I don't. <laughs> so I don't know what That's our stat. Yeah, we all have Jaheim Bell NFTs. I don't know what our stat was. Uh, we'll have to check the tape on that. Yes. Yeah, I'll check the tape. Maybe it's probably like a hundred yards, or probably a hundred yards of um, huh? Probably a hundred yards of all purpose. Yeah, yeah. Which he, I think, hit eighty three. You and I sold. They bought. Okay. Very good. All right. That's buy or sell. We're out of time here. Appreciate you listening. It's been a fun reaction Monday. We'll be back again tomorrow to talk more Carolina Vanderbilt. In the meantime, Halftime Show is coming up next. Join Hala Taha for actionable advice from the brightest minds in the world on the Young and Profiting Podcast. Author and academic Arthur Brooks on what success isn't. The husband was confessing to his wife that he might as well be dead. And I'm thinking, whoa, what's wrong with this guy? I turn around to get a look, and it turns out to be one of the most famous men in the world. The world tells you that if you are profiting, money, power, pleasure, fame, you're going to be happy. And that's a bogus formula. The Young and Profiting Podcast, wherever you listen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.